Gospel Vision. That's the title of the message, Gospel Vision. And it is the gospel that gives us the power. First, it's the gospel that gives us life. It's the gospel that sustains us. But it is the gospel that gives us power. And as Jim mentioned, the gospel are the beautiful glasses that we all get to put on and see one another. And so this morning, it is about gospel vision, but about gospel vision that we have. It's about gospel vision that, that causes the, the, the beautiful colors and the details to come flashing at us. And so we want to receive that gospel vision. We want to have that gospel vision. We're going to talk about biblical worldview today. And, and if you're wondering, what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is simply the way you interpret your world, the way you interpret the uh, marriage ceremony at the Grammys that seemed to mock Christianity, where both heterosexual and same-sex couples were being married, and at which Madonna and Queen Latifah seemed to preside. Okay, so the next morning when you come to work and someone says, what'd you think of that? Your gospel worldview is going to kick in. How, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret that? I, I, I love the Spanish word for worldview is cosmovisión. Cosmic, we get world, vision, vision, world vision. Cosmovisión. So, so a, a, a biblical worldview is a view of the world. I, I would like to call it a gospel vision. But, but that gospel vision, that, that biblical worldview is very important. How do I interpret that? How do I talk to my children about that? If you have teenage children, children that are old enough to have heard about it at school the next day. And would, would want an opinion about it. How, how do you interpret your work? How do you interpret what you do? How do you, how do you view what's important to you? Where you live? What you seek? How do you process life? What's it, what, what are the things to you that are very, very important? So when something happens... You've got a grid through which you're going to process that thing that happened. That's your biblical worldview. It's, it's the thing that enables us to interpret, make sense of our world. And, and our biblical worldview, as Jim said, comes from the gospel. It comes from the gospel. The gospel are those glasses, or perhaps a, perhaps a different way of looking at it is this. The gospel... The gospel is what gives us life. The gospel is what gives us life. By way of review, if you're a guest, you're a first-time guest, we're preaching through the book of Romans. Today I'm preaching a message, Gospel Vision, based on one verse, Romans 1.25. But four weeks ago, we began the book of Romans, preaching in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And the main point of that sermon was this. Jesus Christ is the gospel. I mean, if... uh, The book of Romans is about God saving us, God working through Jesus Christ. 
So that first sermon was Jesus Christ is the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And then three weeks ago, we preached a message from Romans 1, 8 to 15. And and in that message, we talked about, and the scriptures actually revealed to us, that Jesus Christ, who is the gospel, he's the gospel root. He produces gospel fruit, as Jim said in his announcement. It's not just right thinking, but now suddenly I, I have right living by the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ, gospel root, produces gospel fruit. And then two weeks ago, Jim really really gave us the main verses of the book. And as a matter of fact, I'd like you to look at the screen for just a moment. And these are, these are the thematic verses for the book of Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17 say the following, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The in it, in verse 17, the it points back to the gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel, the gospel gives us God's righteousness by faith. It's a righteousness that is foreign to us. It comes from God and that righteousness is Jesus Christ. And this gospel gives us life. This gospel um, gives us the righteousness of God. Last week I preached the message from Romans 1, 18 to verse, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, that the, the beautiful diamond of the gospel, the righteousness of God, is set against the black velvet backdrop of the wrath of God. And so the main point of last week's message, I believe the main point of Romans 1, 18 to 32, is that God's wrath reveals our need for God's righteousness. So, thinking now back to gospel vision, and you can put that title back up. The the sermon this morning is about a biblical worldview, how we interpret the world, that would enable us to be eager to preach the gospel, even as Paul was eager to preach the gospel. It would, it would be a biblical worldview that would enable us to be not ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. For the righteous man or woman shall live by faith. So a biblical worldview, in essence, is how do we live by faith? I, I guess I would see it this way. Yes, the gospel are the glasses we wear. But I think there's there's a working together between the gospel and a biblical worldview. And I would say this. The gospel, actually, I think you you could argue the gospel is what gave this blind man sight. Let's let's start there. So let's start. Alpino's optic nerves have been severed. Or they were not functioning properly. And so I am blind. I I would fall right off this stage if I uh, did not have a cane or someone didn't tell me. I'm totally blind. The gospel comes in. I'm totally blind. This is a metaphor in scripture for those who do not believe in Christ. Perhaps that's you this morning. I pray give you sight this morning. I'm totally blind. I'm under the wrath of God. I deserve God's wrath because I've rejected him. 
And the gospel comes, Jesus Christ comes, and he gives me life. It's resurrection life. It's the life that he has. He rose from the dead. So, boom, my optic nerves are now made alive. I can see. Okay? But perhaps as a little child, or perhaps as someone like myself, that my vision is not good, I can't see 2020. I can't see well. Particularly for me, these are my reading glasses. I can't read well without glasses. The the words are fuzzy. I I recently went to the eye doctor and had an eye exam, and he had to adjust my prescription. And I took that prescription, and I went to Costco, and I I, I got a new pair of glasses. They're not in yet, so I still have these. They're going to be bigger, because now I not only need... I wear contacts, (laughs) so now I need glasses to read, and I need glasses to read my computer, because I can't read it anymore. And I've got a large computer screen. I can't read it. And I, I look at the computer all day long. That's what I do. So, so think, think of the gospel as giving life to my optic nerve. But thinking, think of the world view as those glasses on, that I wear over my contacts, that without them, things do not come into clear relief. I, I can't really see <clears throat> what is being said there. Things are not in sharp focus. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm alive in Christ, I have new life in Christ, and that new life is glorious. That new life, the gospel redefines me, it redefines how I think about my job, it redefines about what I think about my worth, it redefines my well-being. Before the gospel, my well-being was based on everybody liking me. Your approval. And suddenly the gospel comes that I'm made alive and I realize, boy, when I do that, I'm making you my God. I'm living for you. And the gospel says, no, live for God. God's approval is enough, Al. Worship Him. So that gospel gives me that. A biblical worldview are all those truths of the gospel and how they relate to my life. And here's the deal. Today's verse. If I subtly exchange the truth that my well-being is based on God's approval and not yours, if I exchange that truth subtly for the lie that my well-being, yeah, 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 I know I'm going to heaven, but if I don't have your approval, if you don't smile at me when you come into church this morning, suddenly I think, hey, what's wrong? Do do they not like me? Did they think my sermon last week was kind of bad? And I start getting worried and nervous and I'm sweating and and I'm sad. And, And subtly I've taken... My vision's gotten blurry. I've taken my vision off of God and his approval and I've put it on you. And and now you are my God. Listen, when when I went to the eye doctor, he put me on this huge machine. You guys ever been on that machine? You know, it looks like two huge wheels and he sticks your head in there and he starts clicking and it's like, he takes all of your prescription off and he goes, can you see? I couldn't even see the huge E, okay? No, doctor, you're my doctor. I need glasses. Okay, okay. Chick, 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 chick. All right, how's this? One or two? Which is better? Three or four? I don't know. I'm just five or six. It's like a quiz. Like, stop it. So, and he finally gets it to where I can see. And my prescription changed. I'm getting older. And he gave me that little card. When we see, I didn't know that my vision was getting bad. I just knew I was getting headaches because my vision got bad slowly, subtly. 
You get that? So though my optic nerve works, I have the gospel, I am saved. My biblical worldview, how I think about things, how I think about Alpino, my career, what you, how I think about you, how I think about God, how I think about the Grammys, how I think about money, Wall Street, the war, terrorism, the Super Bowl, uh, college football, um, you name it. And some of, them, some of them get funny, but some of them aren't so funny. My education, the values for my children, how I look at my grandchildren, how I view life, how I do life. In, in many respects, is, is motivated, is controlled by this gospel, this biblical worldview. And it needs to be adjusted. And here's why. Now look at verse 125. Romans 125 says this. This is a biblical worldview verse. Because they... Now we know in this text that they are unbelievers. We understand that. And, and ultimately it applies to unbelievers. But I think... If you stay with me, we can apply it to ourselves as well. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So here's what happens. I can subtly exchange the truth that my well-being is based on God's acceptance for the lie that if I don't have your acceptance, if you're not smiling at me right now and writing down notes because I'm preaching such a great sermon, I suddenly become preoccupied and my whole well-being is affected. And trust me, talk to any preacher on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, they're sitting sitting there thinking, I blew it. Why am I even in existence? I'm never going to preach again. That was a horrible sermon. Now fill in the blank for the thing that's most important to you. When I exchange that lie, my vision gets cloudy. And I need, yes, the gospel, but a biblical worldview that is based on the gospel, generated by the gospel. The gospel leads me then to have a biblical worldview to think about, for example, my vocation. Oh, I'm fine this afternoon. Yeah, that was an okay sermon. Father, I was faithful. I did the best I could. My best isn't as good as someone else's best, but it was the best I could. You're, you, thank you, Lord. You're, I'm hearing you say, well done. That person doesn't like it. All right, I'm sorry for that, but I have your approval, Father. And my vision gets sharpened. My vision gets sharpened. So here's the application. As we look at this verse, as we prepare for Bible 45 starting next Sunday, February the 9th, We want to take the truths of the gospel that are here in Romans and we want to apply them to a comprehensive way of how we view law, government, social justice, education, my well-being, what I think about myself, what I think about you, what I think about God. When I start taking the gospel and then constructing a biblical worldview, that biblical worldview then helps me. It helps me to be able to share the gospel, as Jim said, wisely around the water cooler when the conversation goes to the Grammys. It helps me to understand, well, what job I should take, where I should live, what are my priorities. It it, it helps, listen, it helps the gospel gain traction in my life. For so many of us, the gospel, the gospel... We love God. We have sight. The optical nerve has been restored, but everything's a little fuzzy. The gospel kind of lives at the edges of my life. 
It somehow doesn't penetrate to the core of my life. So I go to church and I'm truly a Christian and I, and I love God. I love the people in church. But if I were honest, when it comes down to making a decision, the gospel's kind of out here. But it's not, I haven't thought deeply about how it affects and, 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 and God, I haven't allowed God to bring it deeply to penetrate to the core of my being. So therefore, at times we can wonder, why does the gospel not have traction in my life? Why is, do, I, do I not see gospel fruit in my life? Why am I still wrestling with sins I don't want to do that tend to kill my passion for God and his church? And it's like, eh, whatever. Why, why, why have I lost faith? That the gospel is able to convert unbelievers, changing them from worshipers of self to worshipers of God. Why do I kind of doubt a little bit that the gospel has the power to make disciples, followers of Christ? Why am I not eager to preach it like Paul was? And so I think these are the questions that Romans one twenty five can help us to answer. And so I just, I just want to take a moment to pray. And, and, and I, I want to ask God to help us. Lord, I thank you that you have given us vision. You've restored the optical nerve. The God, we have sight. Once I was blind, now I see. And Lord, you've called us to present the gospel. You've called us to hold the gospel up and show it to a bunch of blind people. And unless I have faith that it can restore the optical nerve, that it's what we are studying, the power of God for salvation, I'll either grow tired as they mock me or as they say there's nothing there because they're blinded to that. So Lord, open our eyes. Give us gospel vision, cosmovision, worldview. A worldview fueled, founded, generated by the gospel that brings things into clear focus. My job, my career, my marriage, my parenting, my money. And then fuels us so that we're eager to preach the gospel. We're not afraid to preach it. We're not afraid to weigh in at the water cooler. Or for some of us, we don't just weigh in with a baseball bat and club everybody to death, knock over the water cooler and storm off to our cubicle. Everybody goes, that guy's crazy. But somewhere in the middle, we can boldly, calmly hold up the gospel to eyes that are blind and believe that one day, for your elect, you will open those blind eyes through the power of the gospel. That's our goal, Lord. I believe that's the burden this morning from your heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, let's take a look at what this verse teaches us about a biblical worldview. If you look at the verse, you will see something very interesting. In the first part of it, it says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And this truth about God, when they exchanged it for a lie, then it led them to worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. I believe what this verse teaches us, that in this world there really are only two people, two kinds of people. The first kind of person has exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and thus they have worshipped and served the Creator. And the second kind of person, by logical implication, are those who actually exchange lies 
for truth resulting in worship of God. Which one are you? There's no in-between. Which one are you? So let's take a look at this exchange. Let's take a look. Let's turn this around a little bit. Let's exchange the lie for a truth. Now, again, remember, if you are here and your optical nerve has been restored, then God has done that. He has done that in your life. He has opened your blind eyes. He has given you sight. And you now believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And you've repented of the sins in your life, the lies. You've believed in Jesus. And if you haven't done that, I pray that would happen this morning. But I think I'd I'd like to ask for the permission to take now that concept and and take it to the particulars of our lives and, and see that sometimes, even though we are Christians, we can still buy some lies. We can still exchange some truth for a lie. Okay? So that's where we're going. So here's the lie. So first, let's, let's define the lie, shall we? In verse 25, uh, it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So what's the lie, Al? Well, I'm glad you're asking me that. Because starting next week, we're going to take 10 weeks to not only look at the lie, but look at the truth. And we're going to try to tease it out okay, in greater detail. But here's the lie, basically. It's an ancient lie. It's the first lie. It's the mother of all lies, if I can say it that way. No pun intended. It's the lie that Eve believed. And I could say the father of all lies because Adam believed it as well. And we find that lie in Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Lie. Right? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Go blind. So Eve answered correctly there. Oh, the serpent, verse 4, was persistent. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Oh, did you see the irony? They had open eyes, and they were about to do something to close those eyes permanently. Blindness, spiritual blindness. Satan comes around and says, Oh, no, 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 no. Your eyes aren't really open. Eat that, and they'll be open. What a liar. (laughs) Mentiroso! Yeah, you know, by the way, they bought it and we would have too had we been there. Because here, here's the enticing part of it. Here's why your popularity, your success, your money, your wealth, here's why sometimes it's so important to me that everybody, you know, like, worship me as the best preacher that ever existed. Right here, the next one. This is the little mini lie that I can buy, even though I've been delivered ultimately from that lie and God has saved me. But this is the one I kind of always want to take a little nibble of. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is the lie. You ready? Forget about worshiping God. I want to be God. You want to know who the idols are today? They're not a bunch of weird masks and totem poles and animals. They were back then. The God for most of us is the person we look at in the mirror every day. 
We're self-worshippers. It's all about me. It's a me-centered world. So, Peter Jones, in his book, All is One, excuse me, one or two, defines it this way. So we're, so, and by the way, when we do that, when we worship, when we, we, we say, we buy the lie, we then worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. You see that in the second part of uh, chapter, verse 25? All right, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here's how Peter Jones would define this. And this is going to be a working definition for us in our class. All is one. We worship and serve creation as divine. All distinctions must be eliminated. And through enlightenment, we discover that we are also divine. It's a worldview based on sameness. Now, that may not resonate. Oh, now I get it. You may be going, huh? Okay, we got 10 weeks to kind of figure out the, huh? But can I just tell you, if you're honest with yourself, (laughs) you're the God of your world. You're the king or queen of your world. And when people don't bow down to you, then you go crazy. Some of you get depressed and, and retract and go crazy that way. Some of you go into alcohol and drugs. Some of you scream and yell and throw things. Some of you are, you know, go back and forth between all those or watch, you know, reruns of whatever, you know, Seinfeld for five days because you're just in a depression or, you know, we all do crazy things when, when the world doesn't, you know, celebrate our desire to be king and God and divine. We just go, ah. It's true. <laughs> You see, what happens there is that there's no difference between the creature and the creator. And as I said, this is the mother of all lies. It's the root of all evil. Ten commandments. Ten. I would say five of them deal with this thing right here. Certainly the first four of the ten commandments. Definitely. I would say commandment ten does as well. Thou shalt not covet. Because in Colossians 3.5 in the New Testament, written 1,500 years after Moses wrote the Tenth Commandment, Paul says idolatry, or coveting is idolatry. What's coveting? Wanting what's not yours. Starting with wanting to be God, because that's not yours. Though you want it to be yours. You want your opinion to always be right. Your way to always be done. Your pockets always be full. Your Facebook posts always be liked. No one likes one of these, right? This is idolatry, friends. It's idolatry. It's, I, what is idolatry, Al? Idolatry is worshiping, giving worship to anyone or anything other than God. Martin Luther said an idol is what you hang your heart on that's not God. What are you hanging your heart on today? What do you have to have for you to be happy today, at peace today? The understanding of your spouse to win that argument, to get that promotion? What is it? See, if it's anything other than God, friend, that thing, if you think of it as a branch, that branch is not strong enough to hold your heart. It will break. Tim Keller says that idolatry is giving anything or anyone besides Jesus Christ the title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight. You want to know know what, what your idol is? It's that thing or person that functionally completes this sentence. You ready? Life only has meaning if. I only have worth. I can only feel good about myself if. 
See, idolatry is making anyone or anything ultimate because only God has the right to be the ultimate one in our lives, friends. And see, the fruit of idolatry is slavery. It's slavery to whomever or whatever you make your idol. And it mutes the witness of the church. It keeps people from coming to church. It causes people to be ho-hum about God and the gospel. The gospel made me alive. The gospel gave me life. Jesus died for my sins. I saw, we saw last week, and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, that if it weren't for Christ, I would be under the wrath of God, and rightly so, because I have no excuse. I rejected him. I don't want to know about him. That's what these passages have taught us. And then the gospel comes as this beautiful diamond on the black velvet backdrop of that truth and says, now instead of getting God's wrath, you get God's righteousness. That shouldn't be just like, yeah! Let me go preach it! But instead we find ourselves in spiritual funks. Lethargic. No one in the church likes me. It's true. I'm not, not connected. I'm just not happy. My spouse just doesn't appreciate me. They don't, they don't get me. My kids, I poured my life into my kids. They don't even say thank you. Fill in the blank, my boss, my friend. You're on the throne. You're on the throne. And, and you've displaced God, although he's never displaced, from the throne. And therefore you feel distant from God. And you think that somehow you've got to do stuff to gain God's favor. The gospel has given you life, but you've forgotten the detail. You've forgotten to put it on and interpret yourself and everything. My acceptance with God is not based on what I do. It's on what Jesus did. If I forget that, then I become a self-righteous legalist. And so when I feel distant from God, I feel distant from people, and I just start drifting away. Where's so-and-so? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man, but the gospel... Man, the gospel, it gives us life in that biblical worldview and everything's in bright technicolor. It's like 3D glasses. Whoa! And it's like, yeah, let's go to church. Come on, let's serve. How can I serve? Let's go to dinner for eight. I want to meet these people. I don't know these people. They scare me a little bit, but I want to meet them. They look very different from me. I can barely understand what they're saying. What country are they from? What is that food? Did that thing just wave at me from the rice? What is that? And life becomes an adventure, and we want to we want to be knit to one another because instead of being God, we get off the throne. He's God. We're His servants. We become servants to one another. Do you see the beauty of the gospel? Here are some diagnostic questions to reveal those areas where you have subtly lost clarity. You need to get on that big machine. Click, click, click. How's number one better? Number two better? Number three? Number four? Number five, okay? The machine's the word of God. He's doing the clicking right now. And these are some ways you can discern where your, your, your functional idols are, where you've subtly lost some clarity, and it's affected your heart, like Jim said. What makes you angry? I mean, there's something that, that it's a chronic area that you just get mad. You, you, go, you fly into uncontrollable rage. What is that thing that you have to have, and when you don't get it, you go to war? And ask those around you if you can't think of anything. What are you afraid of? What causes you debilitating fear and anxiety? Keeps you up at night. David Pallison of Christian Counseling and Education Foundation taught me this truth in a book. Take your fears and turn them upside down. 
and you'll find your cravings, your idol. If I fear rejection, if I walk into a room and I just like, I'm going to be quiet. Man, these people are all funny. They're all good looking. They've all got money. They've got gold chains. It's Miami. The guy's shirts are open down to here. They're all buff. They've been to the gym. They got their hair slicked back. All right, forget about the hair slicked back. I mean, they're looking really cool. I'm driving a 1995 car. They've got like 2014 Lexuses. Uh, and so you walk in a room like, I'm just not going to say anything. What's wrong? Well, well, well doctor, I just fear rejection. <laughs> That is true, and I'm not mocking that, but oh, friend, turn that fear upside down. No, no, I crave acceptance. I want to be the guy that walks in the room that's the game changer. I want to be the guy that says, hey, there's Pino. Come on over here, Pino. Wow, you are cool. Wow, just tell us about you. Hey, Pino, you are the man. That's what I crave. What I fear is rejection. My fear points to what I crave. It points to my idol. I'm not a victim here. I'm the perpetrator. And then the final question. What causes you to become despondent, chronically depressed? What are those thoughts right now? What are you thinking about right now that are tempting you to be depressed? I'm talking about can't get out of bed, stay in my pajamas, you know, and just mutter to myself all day depressed. Or yeah, watch you know, reruns of Seinfeld for five days. Or, you know, or put in 24 and watch season one to season eight without stopping. Bloodshot eyes, you know, you're just like, do another one. Because you just, you want to escape from reality. Because reality won't agree with you that you're God. So the Bible 45 class will explore the truth exchanges that our flesh the world and Satan tempt us to make, like Satan tempted Adam and Eve to make. And then we'll seek to bring forth the truth of the gospel and the realities of the gospel that my acceptance, my worth, my security is in Christ. It's not in my health. It's not in not getting hurt today. But I have eternal, yes, security in Christ. I have I have security in him. Though they kill my body, I'm going to have a resurrection body. And that gospel truth, man, that just jumps out at me. He's like, all right, go, let's go. Let's go preach the gospel. It, it, it changes me. By the power of the Spirit, as the word of God, as a biblical worldview arises, fueled by the gospel, Jesus sets us free from the lies of the flesh, the world, and Satan. And we exchange the lies for truth. It's called repentance. It's what Christians do every day. Because the word changes me. I read Psalm 32 this morning. And, and I was, my, my soul, man, I, need, I needed to make my soul happy in the Lord big time. I woke up and was like, ugh. <laughs> it's a late night. It was a late night the night before. It was early morning. As you know, I wake up like really early. Not because I'm godly, just because my eyes open. And I just, I just, I just... I just dragged myself out and I said, I'm not going to watch the ESPN app first. I'm not, there's, there's a functional God. I'm not going to check the scores, even though the Gators did kill Texas A&M. I'm not going to look at any of that kind of stuff. I'm just going to look at the word of God. And I opened up Psalm 32. It's in my reading plan. It's the ESV reading plan. There's four sections every morning. And I read them. Why? Not because I'm trying to gain God's approval. I have it because this is life. Like we sang, this is water for my thirsty soul. This is food for my starving stomach. That's what I read. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed. You're blessed, Alpino. Though your circumstances may not be what you want right now. And you keep getting news that you're going like, no, no, no. 
Give us a victory here. Give us one victory here, Lord. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Woo! Ha! Just got my glasses from Costco. Oh, I see. I see. All right, the truth. Boom. What is the truth? If the lie is there's no distinction between God, creator and creature, creator and creation, which we'll get into this. It's interesting, Paul really highlights homosexuality here. There's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in the class. So if you're interested, please come. Here's the truth. The truth is that there is a distinction between God, the creator, and his creation. And this truth can be expressed in the following manner. All is two. We worship and serve the eternal personal creator of all things. God alone is divine and is distinct from his creation, yet through his Son is in living communion with it, a worldview based on otherness and difference. And what is the fruit of this worldview? Oh, friends, I want to tease that fruit out for you. There's so much here. I know it sounds like, okay, God, Al, I had that. Uh, that's a basic. No, you don't. <laughs> Go back to point one, which is why Paul, by the way, labors from, from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul labors to identify the lie, the backdrop of the black velvet backdrop of God's wrath, so that the diamond of God's righteousness in the gospel, Jesus Christ, can shine brightly. We need help seeing that we don't quite have this like we thought we had. But the truth is, we don't quite have the truth like we thought we do either. I mean, my, my, my glory, my, my, my joy, what God told me to do is to take the gospel and just... Let it shine before you. And at times, that's why I put it against the backdrop of wrath of God. I'm going to do it again in two weeks. Because the Bible does it. I'm not choosing to do it. The Bible does it. I want to be faithful to preach what this, what's in here. But so that the gospel would shine. I'm secure in Christ. There's nothing that can happen to me that God does not allow. My well-being is based on not what my boss thinks of me, not what contract I sign or how many people are in the church or, or how healthy I am. Or My well-being is based on Jesus Christ dying for my sins and rising from the dead and giving me life and promised me eternal life and promised me a kingdom to come. And that kingdom we see a little bit now. We see it this morning. But one day there'll be a great heavenly congregation worshiping God face to face and it's going to blow our minds. I, my words fail me. Time fails me. But oh, the gospel is glorious and my joy, listen, not mine alone, but yours. Your joy is to discover that gospel, to get those biblical worldview glasses on because the gospel gives, and and talk to one another about it. That's why we sing together. So that I'm singing to God, but I'm singing to my daughter and my son-in-law on the front row here. Good to see you guys this morning on the front row. I love it. You look beautiful. God has blessed you with a beautiful wife. Those miracles do happen. No, 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 just kidding. <laughs> Couldn't resist that one. <laughs> and two beautiful grandchildren. Yeah, two beautiful grandchildren. And, 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 and realize, 
The gospel shines brightly. These are blessings. I wake up every day and I get to, I get to bring those blessings to you and to say, listen, shine them forth. But then David gets to go home and bring them to Mindy and Mindy to David, David and Mindy to Mary Jane and Annabelle the day she could understand it. And when they go have a meal with the Georges, they talk about the Georges. And at dinner for eight and at the Super Bowl party this, this afternoon, this evening, you know... You can talk about the glories of the gospel without being religious and weird. It's called biblical worldview. Take the gospel from the edge of your life, Sunday morning only, community group night only, when there's a crisis only, and let God bring it to the core of your being without being a religious wacko, but just being a real person. I'm thinking about banking. I'm thinking about insurance. I'm thinking about hurricanes and floods. And I'm thinking about worldview issues and our government and the next election. Biblically. And the gospel gets traction in my life. It becomes vibrant. I love this quote. Now, this is the appeal. We're heading for home now. As Paul fearlessly took this sharply defined gospel, think of a biblical worldview, the glasses work, sharply defined. I got the click, click, click. Ah, that's it, doc. That's it. I can see, I can see well. That'll work. Sharply defined gospel. The gospel is what gives me life, but then it's defined in every area of life. As Paul fearlessly took this sharply defined gospel into the interfaith and spiritually occultic world of pagan Rome, or we're going to find out about pagan Rome, It's not worse today, trust me. Rome was way, way, way worse. Paul was undaunted. Paul said in 115, I'm eager to preach the gospel in Rome because it's going to bear fruit. It's born fruit in my life. I'm eager. As Paul fearlessly took the sharply defined gospel into the interfaith and spiritually occultic world of pagan Rome, the power of God eventually brought down the imperial strongholds of unbelief. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. May we in our time See that same gospel as the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16, producing a revival of truth in our time. Oh God, give us 2020 gospel vision. 2020 gospel vision. That we can engage the world humbly, wisely, boldly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it alone is the power of God. For salvation, for all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me? Lord, I pray that you would move the gospel from the periphery, from the edges of our lives, and and let it penetrate into the core of our being. Lord, I pray that as we we understand and, and, and apply the gospel to our thinking about all of these different disciplines, our thinking about life, our thinking about one another, our children, our parenting, our spouse, our friends, this church, this community, South Florida, where I live, why I live here, what job I have, how important is how much I make, how important are my relationships and the church that I serve. Lord, help us. Help us, Father, bring, Lord, bring the glorious gospel to full technicolor, 3D technicolor that would amaze us and thrill us and chill us and give us a passion. Oh, God, that's not just some trumped up passion. No, but it's a passion that is born of gospel, strong gospel founded worldview. Lord, may that gospel bear fruit in Palm Vista. 
Lord, bear fruit in marriages that are strong. Bear fruit in relationships amongst one another that are real and true and honest and loyal and serving one another. May it bear fruit in conversions. May it open my mouth, as Jim said, and that I would boldly declare it with wisdom, not just in a rant against a certain person or thing or party, but with tears, a heart to serve. As Paul went to pagan Rome, said, I'm eager to preach the gospel. He didn't rant. He wasn't pushing some political agenda. He's preaching Jesus, full-orbed, fully developed. May it bear fruit upon this, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Jesus' name. Let's, uh, let's stand to our feet. This song we're going to sing is one of the ones we sang during our worship time. And it, it just talks about God's word. It's a prayer, as Zeke, as Zeke intimated during this song. Would you pray it with me and pray it out loud so that the rest of us can hear it? Because I need to hear your prayer to be encouraged this morning. And you need to hear mine. We're all praying to God. Amen? Let's sing.